We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. That's what we're dealing with this. The, the, the word, the power, and the believer. So we saw three dimensions of the word. We saw three dimensions of the word. The graphe, the written word, and any written word is a graphe. Not necessarily the Bible. So we said there are three dimensions or three categorizations of the word, word, right? Graphe, whatever is written, any form of communication that is written is a graphe word. So right in front of you, looking at the screens, you see where it's written, your art, word, and life, a Christocentric discipleship study gathering. It's there. You can see it. That's a graphe, right? It's not hidden. You can see it. When I say, uh, everyone face, look, lift up your eyes, look at the screen. What's written on there is, you are at Word and Life, a Christocentric discipleship study garden. Do you go, oh, what a Rema word. <laughs> you, don't, you don't do that. So therefore, a Rema word cannot be a revealed word. Because for something to be revealed, it means it was hitherto, it was before that, hidden. Uh, if something is in its graphic form, anything uttered cannot be said to be a revelation of what is already written. Does that make sense? So, a word uttered at a particular time is a rema word. A word uttered to address a particular situation at a particular time is a rema. And then, of course, there is also the logos, which means the embodiment of the body of thought concerning any. Uh, particular subject, right? Again, logos, if you check the definition, logos does not mean Christ. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah. Christos or Christon in the Greek is the word translated Christ and it means the anointed one and his anointing. Not just the anointed one, not just the anointing. The anointed one and his anointing. Jesus is a Greek variant from Latin of Yeshua or Joshua, or Jehoshua, which means savior, or salvation. So the salvation that comes through the anointed one and his anointing, Jesus Christ. Yeshua Hamashiach. Do you understand it now? Okay, so Hamashiach is the anointed one in the Hebrew. Yeshua is Jesus in the Hebrew. Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus Christ. The anoint the salvation that comes from the anointed one and his anointing. So logos does not mean Christ. Logos means the embodiment of any thought, any idea, any any discipline in its very can everybody hear me? In its fullness is the logos. Now, of course, if you then apply that contextually in our faith as believers, then you come to the conclusion without any shadow of doubt that Christ is the logos of God. Because everything God is capable of, thinking, processing, speaking, imagining, is captured, is encapsulated in Christ. Yeah? Christ is what makes God God because he's the fullness of the Godhead. So God was going to create the earth, but... God could not create the earth without Christ because without Christ was nothing made that was made. 
So God cannot even bother trying to start to begin to attempt to create. You understand that? So without him was nothing else. Yesterday we then went on to say that it's one thing to say that something was created by something or by someone. But the fact that somebody created something doesn't mean that other people cannot create the same thing. Right? There are keyboards by, right there there's a keyboard by Yamaha MOXF8 and right there is another keyboard by Roland. Downstairs is another keyboard by Korg. There's keyboards by Kurzweil. There's keyboards by PV. And the list goes on and on. So the fact that Yamaha makes keyboards doesn't mean that somebody else cannot make keyboards. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, Japanese cars are great. Well, you have even Japanese cars. You have Toyota, you have Honda, and everyone's making cars and making their mark from their cars. But it's one thing to say, so the first automobile, for instance, is loosely credited to a man called Henry Ford, right? So he's the one to whom, just like, as I said, loosely credited, because I don't want to go into that story for another day. It's like saying that the Wright brothers are the ones that invented the airplane. Technically, they are not. Yeah, they just got the credit for it, but other people had dabbled into it at different forms. So loosely speaking, Henry Ford. So to say that the car came by Henry Ford is one truth. To then go on and say that without Henry Ford, no car created could have been created is another truth. Does that make sense? So if any car had to come on the earth, it had to come only via the conceptualization and, and delivery of Henry Ford. But he doesn't have that exclusivity. Does that make sense? Christ has that exclusivity on creation. All things were made by him. Without him was nothing made that was made. Nothing. Nothing. That's why you cannot, I was a, a senior brother of mine, someday he will come here, um, was talking about secular music and saying that um, um, how can you say you don't do secular music or you don't believe secular music but then you say that God planted you in your secular job to be there for his glory. So you believe that he planted in your secular job to do it for his glory, to shine the light of Christ in your secular job. But secular music is devilish and demonic. How, how would you say those two things from the same mouth? I then came in and I spoiled the whole thing. I said, but you see, all of this is a, is, is a non-starter because there's no such thing as secular music or secular job. There's no such thing. What is a secular job? There's somebody saying, hey, hey, secular is if it's demonic and talks about sex. I'm saying, see, that's a religion. It's a religion. All things were made by him. Let's understand this thing properly. Without him was nothing made that was made. If you come and tell me that we cannot play this kind of music in church because it's devil's music. Devil created it. Without him was nothing made that was made. If there is music on the earth, it was made by, through, and with Christ. Christ did not make some good music and then left the bad one for Satan to come and make. Satan is not a maker. He is not a creative genius. He only has one skill. Perversion. To pervert what is already created. 
Because when the dude fell, he didn't lose any power. Doesn't create. He himself was created. It's created. That's why he brings report every day. Every day. He's not his own boss. He comes, he brings audit report every day. God will ask him, Job chapter 1, how market? What are you doing? See, market, they sell up and down, checking things out. Yeah, that's the message translation. I've been going back and forth, checking things out. So God will say, okay, so as you're checking things out, you didn't check Job. What kind of checking are you checking? If you have not seen Job. It's not you that put a hedge of, see dinner. Go back to verse 6. One day, put, put, put New King James, please. You see where it says, sons of God, I beg. Please. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's, it's word and life. Yeah. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among the sons of God. And that is not referring to human beings. It's referring to beings that were types of the relationship God expected he would have with man. Fred mentioned it yesterday. How Archangel Michael is a type of the Christ. So when you see the, the two cherubs beaten out of one piece of fine gold over the Ark of Covenant with wings covering the mercy seat, representing what? Atonement. Who is our atonement? So what do those two cherubs represent? Christ. Yeah. He's, at, he's, he's, he's Christ. But you know, read things and you just see, was the Ark of Covenant real? Yes, it was. But we saw from Solomon's story that the fact that something happens in the natural doesn't mean there's no underlying deeper spiritual reality to it. Right? So, Job 38, verse 7. Uh, God was asking Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah? When the morning stars sang together and Uncle, humans had not yet been made. This was the foundation laying ceremony of the earth. And sons of God were So who are the sons of God? Or who were Sons of God. So before you came on the scene to enjoy sonship, God had co-opted some beings, created them beforehand or aforehand, according to King James, and extend a dimension of that relationship with them until you show up. And then he, this is when you showed up in First John chapter three verse two. John then says in First John three two. Put it up now. Now. Put King James. King Jimmy. Yeah. Now, has sonship changed hands? Because now, we are the sons. Anybody before now that is claiming sonship, you are fired. Because you were only a type 
and shadow of the relationship God was waiting to have with his image. You are not his image. You kept the thing. Just like the law kept you in bondage waiting for grace. These guys kept the sonship waiting until you could come and get into it. Now you are into it. You are now a son of God. Angels, now also, if you forgot who you were, you are now ministering spirits. If you didn't know before, know now. The real MPV is in the building. The real deal is in the building. You are, not, you are a servant. Oh, you are just forming son. Because I was not yet on the scene. Now am I the son of God? I can't be saying I'm son of God and angel is coming to say he's son. How dare you? Somebody God has created in his own image. So just in that sense, God in his foreknowing understands that my relationship I want to have with my image is that of sonship. Let me put a type of it in, in what already exists. As custodians for what is to come. So as soon as you were created, the wheel changed. <laughs> Angelic beans, thank you. You have held it nice enough. Give me my sonship back. So now are we the sons of God. So sons, those guys, angelic beings gather and Satan comes. Regularly. And guess how he comes? Boldly, sir. I saw a post on Facebook. My, my spirit leapt. Somebody said, religion says, I've messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Sonship says, I've messed up. I need to call my dad. Yeah. Because religion makes you feel like you have to run away. I'm not worthy. I am not worthy. I'm not Satan. Satan that is making you feel unworthy comes boldly before the throne every day. Boldly. Has God's ear. Has God's attention. God never binds him. God never casts him into the bottomless pit. God never tells him, shut up. People are talking. He comes in the rank of sons. And God hears him out. And then you that is in his image, created in his likeness, the express image of his person, co-heir with Jesus, of equal standing before the father, you messed up and you hide. Is the old Adam's nature that is working in you. You run and go and hide. And people like that always end up terribly. If you're here and you're a parent that makes your kid afraid of coming to you when, you're, when they messed up, you're going to kill that child. So if you're an earthly parent and you scare your kids and they are pissing themselves because they've done wrong, you would lose that child. And if you're a child, the first place to go when you mess up is home. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God designed it. I don't know who that was for. That's the way God designed it. So we looked at that. We looked at how Christ is the power of God. And if the word has power, as you saw in Ecclesiastes 8.4, right? The word, the word of a king is, there is power. And Christ is the word of God. Either way it goes. Either way it goes is Christ. He's the power of God. The word is the power of God. Christ is the word. So Christ is the power 
of God. And then we said, when God speaks, Christ happens. When Christ speaks, life happens. When Christ speaks, creation happens. And then we went through Hebrews 1, 3, Colossians 1, John 1, 1 John 1, and then came and did the journey all through Genesis chapter 1, right? That's where we ended, right? And then we, so today I want to, to wrap it up. I'm not, I'm not teaching long today. Let's just wrap it up um, so that everybody now is on the same page, right? Everybody who left. Um, so let's, let's begin to look at a few things tonight. John chapter 2, I read from verse 1 to 11. Is anybody getting anything so far? John chapter 2 from verse 1. And the third day, there was marriage in Cana of Galilee. Don't forget, when God speaks, Christ happens. When Christ speaks, life happens. When Christ speaks, creation happens. All right? Keep that at the back of your mind. Don't forget what we started the journey yesterday. The word, the power. The word, power of the word. And the power in the word. Okay? The third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, they have no wine. And Jesus said unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, and I wonder why we're still in King James, but it's kind of sounding nice. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews. I'll come back to that in a bit. Containing 20 or 30 gallons a piece. One gallon is roughly about four liters. Okay, so 20 or 30 gallons a bit, you can calculate how many liters of water multiplied by four. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now. And take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Can somebody say, and they took it? When the master of the feast had tasted the water, that was made wine. Huh. And they did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said unto him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and then when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. So wine is the kind of wine they were drinking gets you drunk. Don't get it twisted. It's not, it's not Eva or, or what do you call this? Pure heaven. Yeah. You have kept the good wine up until now. Let's backtrack a little bit. Jesus says, she comes to him and she says, the people have no wine. They've run out of wine. And Jesus says, what's my business? My time has not come. And in the next verse, his time came. Go back now. Verse 4. Verse 4. Jesus said to her, woman, why? What does your concern have to do Jesus didn't know how to speak pidgin English. You know, because he was, what, which, which, which one consigned me? Consign. You know, <laughs> let's try. You know the guy was an African, you know? You, you, you don't know? You are born. You are two years old. They take you to a country. You now grow up there till you are 12. From two years old, Jesus was in Egypt. Africa, yes. <laughs> The next time you hear of Jesus, he's 12. African kid. 
That's why he could trek the way he trek. Watch this. He says, my hour has not yet come. What have I to do with you? My time has not yet come. And then he goes ahead to give them wine. He goes ahead to solve the problem for which he told Mary his time had not yet come. That tells us either Jesus lied or was forming pride or the problem he solved was not what he was talking about. He took the wine said this is the cup of the new testament in my blood when Mary asked him they don't have wine Jesus answered prophetically and said the time for them to drink wine has not come oh okay but you have a normal wine problem right let's fix your normal problem of wine but the time for you to drink the wine I came to give you has not come and if you check through the, new, the, the, the synoptic gospels and John you see every time where Jesus keeps repeating that statement my time has not yet come my time has not yet come referring to the cross but when the time came he told them he, he told them now the time has come for the son of man so did he give them wine yes did he lie about his time coming no well, he gave them wine as a symbol of what he would give them. Because at the end of the day, the Samaritan woman still fetched her natural water. Yeah. But he said, the water I will give you. He didn't give her that day. Uh, my time has not yet come. So people will preach and say, okay, no, the obedience of God was what changed the mind of Jesus to now for his time to do the miraculous to come. Jesus was not dealing with the miraculous at that point. He was trying to establish who he was. The same John chapter 2 that he told them to destroy this temple. Same, same chapter 2. And, and, and they said, this temple that took 46 years to build, you destroy it and build it in three days. And he said, Jesus did not know that Jesus was referring to his body. But when he resurrected, they remembered these words. So he told them, my time has not yet come. <laughs> Mary went and said, you know what? Yeah, that, whatever that means. You know, because listen, this, this kid, I've known him. Yeah. Peter, Bartholome, Andrew, you don't understand? I know this kid. I gave birth to him, but that's all I can say about him. Very, very strange. 12 years old, he disappeared. He was in the, in the temple. We had met him. He said, my father's house. You know, a very, very weird kid. So, but, but let me give you one advice. Whatever this Jesus tells you to do, do it. John 2, 5. And she walked away. And instantly, Jesus gave a Jesus Jesus. Creative energy of God. Ability of God. Without trying, without drama, without effigy, without film tricks, without special effects. 
he just said fill the water pot with water go back to verse 6 so you can understand now they were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of the purification of the Jews. I want to explain this, but go back to that place and put the message. I don't know how the message puts it. It might just help to make my things easier. Good. Thank you very much. It does. Six stone water pots were there, used by the Jews for ritual washings. I've shared this with you before. Take it off the screen. Those water pots were not water pots to contain water people can drink. It was water for washing your feet, not even your hands. The containers were not vessels of honor. (laughs) The contents were not the kind of water that you could drink. Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering. Why? And I struggled with this question for many years. If God is almighty and God is about to create the earth, why did he need chaos in the beginning? Fred said yesterday that God said, let there be light. And light happened because where there's no light, there is darkness and you cannot release light light does not exist in a vacuum light shows up to dispel darkness so in order for light to happen it must first be preceded by darkness so tree of knowledge of good and evil set up tree of life set up all just is set up Darkness upon the face of the deep. The earth was without form and void. Yeah, so that when the creative energy of God is released, it's without equivocation that God is at work here. John 2.6 Now there were six water pots, not fit for purpose. Because if we're talking about wine and we're talking about a wedding going on and needing to produce them wine, why didn't Jesus ask for the containers that contain the wine that just finished? Because if wine had finished, it means the containers that brought the wine were there and were empty. Very convenient. He totally bypasses the established system and he goes for what the average human mind will reject and say, this is not even going to, it has no likelihood of becoming, you know, it cannot work. There's no likelihood, it's without form and void. There's nothing you could possibly do to make this happen. But somewhere between Jesus saying, even the water pots aligned themselves, <laughs> cleaned themselves up. Any germ, every nematode, every fungi, every bacteria, every alien body in the water pot that could have probably hampered its ability to deliver fresh wine aligned itself at the same. Because Christ happened to the water pot. Jesus did not need to say wash the water pot. 
He did not need to say Genesis 1 now. He did not, why did he say let there be light? Why didn't he say chaos, arrange yourself? Because it, right there in the beginning there was a conundrum. The earth was without form and void. So you would have thought the first thing you would have said was and God said let there be form. Let there be shape. And the evening and morning would have been the first day. Let, let, let the void be filled. And the evening and morning would have been the second day. No. He bypassed all of the inconvenience and he said, let there be light. Christ, go and do your thing. Because yeah. he is light. Yeah. So once he comes in this place, every formlessness will line up. Yeah. When it happens in this place, so light was what brought order for creation to happen. Yeah. Let there be light. That was what brought order. So when things began to come into place, they began to come into place not in an earth without form or void anymore. But an earth that now had light. Order. He didn't say, oh yeah, we have to deal with this formlessness. We have to deal with this void. We have to fix this. No, he didn't do that. Because in the word of a king, there's power. So he said, fill these water pots with water. They fill the water pots with water. And he says, draw it. All of this is happening from the saying of Jesus. When the logos decides to rema, they, hey, my God, do you understand? When, it's, it, all of it is a saying. All of it is a saying. And he says, draw the water now. You cannot say, well, they covered the water pot and there was, you know, fermentation happened, you know, some kind of osmosis, you know, some, something acted upon something. You can't, no, 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 no. No! And that is why unbelievers cannot believe you are a son of God because it happened suddenly. That's why John says, now are we the sons of God? Just like that. God didn't consult anybody. He didn't follow any manual. He didn't write an email everybody in your community. Say, get ready. I'm about to save this person. I know they are the most notorious person in the room. I know they are the biggest girl boy or boy girl in the room. I'm about to save them. I'm about to clean them up. Are you ready? No, 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 no. Now! So nobody can take the glory. Nobody. Draw it out when? So when you're dealing with something as a son, I'll come to that if the Lord allows us in a short while. When you're dealing with something as a son, you don't allow it the apology of time. If you are sick and you want to collect your healing, your healing is available now. I, I, I understand and I believe in progressive healing. But this power is enough to heal you now. Because that power, dunamis, is Christ, the Christ of God. Draw the water out now. Keep going, sir. Notice he didn't tell them, draw out wine. Say, draw out water. And take it to the master of the feast. And imagine if it was you. You are here. Fred tells you, you saw Fred. Go downstairs to those paint buckets at the back. It was you fetch water inside. Go and give Pav. (laughs) 
you you go first of all if it's franca and abigail example franca will say to abigail you know i've been suspecting that man with the gray hair <laughs> with his gray <laughs> Now tell me to go and take this thing and go and give our pastor. <laughs> so imagine you're the one carrying water from a water pot used to wash people's legs to go and give the modern day equivalent of the master of ceremonies, chairman of the occasion, to go and give him. Something that can kill him. Look at what the response to the word was. And no, no, go back to verse 8. Where am I? I'm preaching. Go back to verse 8. Go back to verse 8. Go back to verse 8. Verse 8. Verse 8. Draw some out now and take to the master of the feet. See that? And they took it. They didn't process it, they didn't subject it to analysis. They didn't debate it. They didn't critique it. They didn't listen. In the mouth of a king, there is power. I've said over and over, Holy Spirit, help me to get to it before we close. God does not need to give you an extra instruction when he speaks. In the speaking of God and in your acting, everything aligns. Everything. Because you want to hear, you know what you want to hear as a believer? Please, take those water pots, take them out. Um, bring hypo. Bring, wash it. Have you washed it? Rinse it. Rinse it again. Turn it upside down. Yeah. The water we're about to use, we're about to feed people in a wedding reception. Did you filter the water? Is it blue rose you bought it from? No, you did it boil it. No, boil the water, filter it. Let's, and then you will now use the erroneous doctrine of fulfilling all righteousness. You don't even know what that means. You don't even know what that phrase means. You don't know what it means. And they took it. The language changes in verse 9. When the master of the feast had tasted not the wine, the water. <laughs> NLT. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now somewhere between the water entering his mouth and his taste buds acting on it. Wine happened. Oh. The chairman of the occasion did not drink wine. He did not put wine into his mouth. But at the point he drank the water the interpretation of his taste buds via Christ equals to wine. So it does not have to look like it. In fact, God will ensure 
that everything that makes it look like it is stripped away. Everything. You want to plan your wedding, start to plan it. You want to go to school, start to go to school. God will strip you of everything that looks like that's the direction in which he's heading. Ask Elijah. A wild wind came. God was not in it. A fire came. God was not in it. God is never using the most likely things. Samuel went to anoint somebody at the behest of God, at the instruction of God. And he got there. Eh, as soon as he sees Eliab. Oh, fine boy. Fine, you know, six pack, eight packs for me. Two under. Lovely guy, fine looking. Nah, man. Surely, he says, surely. This is him. And God said, no. Second one, no. Third, no. Fourth, no. Fifth, no. Sixth, no. Seventh, no. Is this all your sons? <laughs> At that moment, Samuel repented. Because in his response, he says, send for him for we shall not sit until he comes. Because at that point, it was evident that is the one. Type of Christ, stone that the builders rejected. So he comes, and right there, ruddy of appearance, not looking like it. Nathaniel, I have seen the master, the ones the prophets prophesied of. Ah, who's that? Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good? So you think Jesus was a fine boy? Think again. You think Jesus was cool? Think again. There was no form of comeliness in him, the Bible says. He didn't look fine at all. Nobody followed Jesus because he looked like Pav. Nobody. Nobody. He, he, he was not the kind of guy you just saw and went, oh yeah, that looks like the kind of guy I can follow. It's a cool guy. No. When push came to shove in John 6, 60, 61, 62, 64, 65, 66, and people began to leave him. His disciples left him. Then you understand why the 12 stayed, not because Jesus was fine. Jesus said, do you not also go and I said, to whom shall we go? You have the word of life. They were not following Jesus for his looks, sir. And God made sure he was not that kind of a fine boy that you would not need to think twice about following. He made sure that if you are following him, it's because of the logos of the Zoe. The word of life. Who is word? Christ. Who is life? Christ. He is your life. So it doesn't have to look like it. David did not look like it. Type of Christ. Jesus comes. He did not look like it. That's why he came to his own. His own received him. Not. David went to fight. He came to save Israel. Why am I in doing David and Christ now? He came to save Israel. His own two brothers looked at him and said, ah, my friend, you see Goliath has been shouting here for 40 days and 40 nights. We cannot face him. Saul, who is taller than all of us in Israel, is hiding from Goliath. You now come from looking after sheep, baby goats, and say that you can. 
please, when soldiers are talking, my friend, keep quiet. Right there, you see Christ. Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to his own and his own received him not. When you read your Bible, see Christ in all of it. See him in all of it. Because you can dissect this hematically. They can teach you in Bible school. You know this, that, that, that. David signifies this. Goliath signifies the, the, the strength of a man. The catapult signifies, hey, 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 shut up. Shut up. What was Goliath significant of? Sin. Because Goliath stood day and night accusing Israel. Day and night. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. He's constantly, come on, you mean nobody can take me on? Take me on. Nobody can. Nobody is son enough. Nobody. And Jesus came and took it. Took sin and cut the head. Trampled upon it. The same way David stood on top of Goliath and chopped his head off. It didn't look like it. It didn't have to look like it. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to look like it. All you need is a word. Not from your daddy in the Lord. Not from your senior prophet. Yes. Uh-uh. All you need is to be sure you heard the Lord in your situation say do. That's all. That's all. That's all. Go back to John 2. So he became wine. Why? At the saying of Jesus. Verse 6. Verse 6. There were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of the purification of the Jews. And God says, draw out some. Take it. I'll show you one more scripture. Tell your neighbor it doesn't have to look like it. Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Verse 22 to 32. Another story that we know very well. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. Somebody say walking on the sea. Say walking on the sea. Go back to 25, 24. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Jesus now starts to go out walking on the sea that is tossed 
by the waves in wind that is contrary. When you read, pay attention. Jesus is not just walking on the sea. This sea is raging. Waves are raging. He's walking eastward and the wind is contrary to him. The conditions are far from perfect for a boat. Let alone a man. Let alone the man walking on the sea. 26. Now when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Look at Peter. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you, not in a boat, not flying, but the same thing you are doing, tell me to do it. Because if you tell me to do it, I can do it. In fact, if you tell me to do it, it is done. He didn't say, I would like to come to you. I'd like to be able to do what you're doing. He says, tell me to, if it is you, Christ. If it is you, Christ, release Christ so I can come. If it is you, Christ, and you are the word, Christ, and the word has power, Christ, when you speak a rema at that point, I then I am convinced what Peter was, not in, was interested in was not walking on the water as it were, was to confirm, is it you, Christ? Tell me, because if it is you and you say, I will hear and see that it is you. And, I, and as a consequence of it, I will come on the water. It's not just faith at work here for the miraculous and the impossible. It's Peter, unwittingly perhaps, trying to establish the Christhood of the word. If it is you, if you are who you say you are. Right? Release Christ. Because if we speak, I will hear Christ. I, I know him, we have slept with him, we have walked with him, we have, you know, we, we speak. And if you speak, and it's you, that word is powerful enough for me to walk on water. Next verse. So he said, and when Peter had come out of the boat, he walked to go to Jesus. Now you have seen some paintings and you see the water nice and calm. Read the next verse. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, so all of this wind was still going. The wave was still going. He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Next verse. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Next verse. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. So all through this picture, the wind was raging. Nothing was, nothing was convenient. All through. 
I was speaking to, I can't remember who it was recently, one of the ladies around. I think it was Ima or somebody I had a meeting with. I can't remember who. And I said that one of the biggest delusions for a believer is when they ask you, how do you know is the will of God? And you reply and say, because I have peace. <laughs> There's no such suggestion in scripture. How do you know it's, how do you know it's God? Oh, there's peace. <laughs> there's peace. That pass it to all understanding. Mm, I have peace. Eh? I didn't feel like anything was wrong. I just, you know, in my system, it just felt peaceful. Amazing. All of this narrative played out with a boisterous sea, raging winds, and kicking waves. Jesus could have easily said to the winds, stop, because they obey him. You see that shortly. He didn't. He ignored them. Because where the word of a king is, there's power. And I don't want to go busy myself with why Peter didn't do what he did. Peter sunk because he took his eyes off Christ. Took his eyes off. Because Christ is the creative force of life. You see one more story, and I love this one, about the Roman centurion, who understood this thing somehow. I don't know how he did it, but he understood it. Matthew 8, and verse 5. Ah, I'm doing good. I'm going to finish this. Hallelujah. Matthew 8, and verse 5. Whew. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, a Roman soldier over a hundred, okay, century, centurion, charged over a hundred, came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus, being Jesus, saying, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only... Only speak a Gentile understood that there's something about this dude and what he says that makes life happen. Don't bother coming. Why now? Come on, come on, do what? No, just speak a word. He didn't say speak healing. Oh, Holy Spirit, help me. He didn't say speak deliverance. He just said, say something. Just say. Have my servant in mind and say. Anything you say, because you are the creative force of God, my servant will be healed. It will be ACGCs to infer that he meant speak a word of healing. Scripture didn't say that. You'll be misinterpreting scripture. He said speak a word. Because you are the word. Say something. Anything. Anything. A phone 
Your phone rings and it's a number you do not know. You're not sure. You answer it and you're quiet. You want to hear the person on the other line say something. At that point, it doesn't matter what the person says. All you want to hear is their voice to identify who that person is. Do you understand that now? So the centurion, having his paralyzed, dreadfully tormented servant in mind, says, I understand you. You are Christ now. From what I've been hearing around, because these people that I built synagogue for, yeah, have said stuff about some Messiah coming who is going to deliver people. You know, if I, if, I, if I understand who you are, and I think I do somewhat, say something. Anything. Same thing Peter said. If it's you, tell me. Say something. It doesn't matter what you say. My servant to be healed. As long as you said Next verse. For I am also a man under authority. Switch to NLT here because everybody knows it in King James. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only, using his earthly military experience, I only need to say, go, and they go. It doesn't matter. He didn't say, I only need to say, go to the junction. I, I just need to say, go. And they go. And as they're going, I, as they're going, I can say, where you're going is. Yeah. It's, 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 so it, God speaks, and you sit down waiting for God to tell you where, you, where you're going. Well, he says in Genesis 12 to Abraham, get out, leave your father's house, come to a land that I will show. Abraham started the journey not knowing where he was going and not caring. He says, Go. Go. Now, trust that in the going, in that capsule called going, the process is in it. In the capsule called go, the destination is in it. In the capsule called go, the supply is in it. In the capsule called go, the grace is in it. In the capsule called go, the enablement is in it. In the capsule called go, the fulfillment is in it. In the capsule called go, the harvest is in it. Just go. How did the waters separate from the waters? So we live over waters and we live under waters. How? By what mechanism? All of that mechanism is encapsulated in his saying, let there be. You don't have to know how he's going to do it. The moment you start to process that, you start to try to become God. It's pride to think of how it's going to happen. It's pride. It's pride to start to think of how it's going to happen. Just go. Just go. Just go. I only need to say go. And they go. Or come. And they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to those who were following him, he said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. 
And I tell you this, watch carefully, and I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, keep going, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. Keep going. But many Israelites, those whom for whom the kingdom, meanwhile, Centurion is waiting on, prepared, <laughs> will be thrown into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See verse 13. Then Jesus said, to the Roman officer, go back home. Because you believe that, that if I say he's fine, it has happened. He didn't say he's healed. He didn't say I release healing. He didn't say none of that. The creative force of God does not need to humor himself with long story. How do we know that? See verse 14. When was the guy healed? What was Jesus doing when the guy was healed? Discussing, sir, about Abraham, Isaac, what they were saying had no correlation to the matter of the... But Jesus was speaking. So because he was speaking, something was happening. Go back now. Go back. Go back. Go back to eleven. Go back to okay ten. Go back to yeah. Go back to ten. Yeah. Turning to those who were following him. Yeah. Roman centurion is standing here. To turn to means to turn away from. Leaves him and is saying, "I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel." And I tell you this, the many Gentiles will come from all over the world from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast. As he was saying all of this, healing virtue was happening to the servant. And by the time Jesus finished telling his story, which we consider another day, he turns to him, oh, you are, <laughs> you are still here. No, you believed now when you said I should speak something. All this time I was speaking. It has happened now. You said I should speak a word. I spoke more than a. I spoke a few things. And in the speaking is enough energy for whatever you are believing to happen. And that's why I told you at the beginning of this teaching, I said be expectant. In this atmosphere, nothing is impossible. Nothing. Nothing. Please don't take it lightly. Nothing is impossible in this atmosphere. Let's bring this home. You as a son of God, you as a child of God, have the same privilege with the word and with power that Christ has. Tell your neighbor you have the same privilege Tell your neighbor, actually, you have the same right that Christ has as the power and the word of God. Mark eleven twenty. Tonight, somebody will go home and you will change your whole life with your mouth. Oh, you didn't hear what I said. 
Mark 11:20 Now in the morning as they passed by they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots remember that story and Peter remembering said to him Rabbi look the fig tree which you cursed has withered away Jesus answered him and said have faith in God see verse 23 for assuredly I say to you whoever be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done he will have some of the things he says most of the things he says he will have whatsoever so my brother if you are not having you are not saying and I am preaching to myself I'm not preaching this message as one who was apprehended. Far from it. We are all sons. We are all family. I'm preaching to myself. If we are not having, we are not saying. Therefore, scientific formula, our having is directly proportional to our saying. And that's why I've said over and over that if the devil can successfully shut your mouth, he has stolen your light. You cannot be a son of God without exercising your saying right. You are too cute to say. You are too cute to have. You are too nice to speak. You are too nice to receive. You are too posh, right? You are a fine boy. You are cleaned up. So you can't speak when they are speaking. You can't pray when they are praying. You can't sing when they are singing. You can't declare when they are declaring. That's why your life is exactly where it is. Your life is a direct reflection of your speaking or absence thereof. Because that same power God gave to you. So you see that power now to create in your life is no longer in the hand of God. Did you hear what I just said? The power to change your life is no longer in the hand or the hand of Christ Jesus. It is now in the hand of this Christ. Because this is now the Christ made flesh. So it means as a son, if you speak, Christ should happen. Because you are joint heirs. You are not assistant son of God. You are not deputy child of God. You are co-heirs with Christ. Alexander Victor, you are co-heirs with Christ. So if you don't like some things, open your mouth and speak what it should be and not what it is. Because that power worketh within you. I showed you yesterday. Acts 14 and verse 3. We're getting ready to close this thing. Acts 14 and verse 3. Acts 14 verse 3. Watch. Therefore, they, Paul and Barnabas, stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. God was present confirming everything they said. Because everything they said was Christ. The word, the power, the believer. 
What is it in your life you need to create? What is it in your life you need to fix? What is it in your life that Christ has been speaking and you haven't heard? Because all you need to do is hear. And beyond hearing, now you speak. Did you hear what I said? Beyond hearing the word of Christ, you are now that word of Christ. So you're not waiting for Christ to deploy Christ in your life. You are Christ deploying Christ in your life. So the authority Christ has to speak things into being, now you have. So begin to craft your life. Please, when they are praying, pray. Uh, when they are singing, sing. When they are praying in the spirit, pray in the spirit. Stop declaring what it is. Start to declare what it should be. Because what it should be is what it already is. What now is, is a mirage holding forth for what should be that already is. What you are expecting it to be already is. You see, God doesn't see you based on where you are. He sees you based on where he has positioned you to be. You are sat with Christ in heavenly places, Ephesians 2, far above principalities and powers. That is where you are. The fact that somebody, a demon slapped you yesterday does not mean God doesn't see you as sat with Christ. It doesn't shift your position. God will not see you less than you are. God will never not see you as a son. God will never not see you as having all that you need. God will never see you as not having every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. So even if you don't look like you have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, as far as God is concerned, you do. So God never sees his sons as a welfare case. We are praying, praise God, be praying. You are believing, praise God, be believing. God never sees you as needing anything because what do you need that he hasn't already given you? So it's now you that must align yourself with the way God sees you, which is the way you really are. Therefore, the way you are now in the flesh is not a reflection of how God sees you. When you eventually happen to how God sees you, it's not when God made you that. So that power is in your mouth. That's why for you to get born again, for you to get born again, you must say. And that saying is an ability of God in Christ. Now you are dead. You cannot possibly say, and it can carry any weight. In the word of an unbeliever, there is no power. So you know what God does? He puts a deposit of Christ in you called faith. That is not of yourself, but is a gift of God. God deposits a little bit of himself in you. So that by that, you can say, I am a son of God. Because the moment you say it, you are. Did you understand what I just showed you? 
Romans 10, 9 and 10. For, put it up on the screen. For if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, verse 10, and believe in your heart that the Lord raised him up from the dead, you shall be saved. And sometimes people make it look like it's a function of you. It's a part that you have to play to participate with God in your salvation. No, Ephesians 2 explains that in verse 8 and 9. By grace are you saved through faith. And that faith by which you are saved is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So who helped you to be saved? How did he do it? By planting an attribute of Christ called faith in you. So that by that faith, when you say in that word, you're saying there's power. John 1.12. Now look at it now. I showed you yesterday. John 1.12. He came to his own. Verse 11. His own received him not. But verse 12. But as many as received him. To them he gave. King James says. Dunamai. To them he gave power. To become. So the, your ability to become a son. Was injected into you. By God. So that the moment you speak. You spoke your sonship into existence. And in order for you to speak your sonship into existence, he had to put a deposit of himself in you called faith as a gift. And so you, you happened to be a son by speaking. If you didn't confess, you will, you will not have been a son. But because you confessed and when you spoke, that speaking carried power to become a son of God. You now are. A son of God. And with the same power you can deploy it to every sickness. Every infirmity. Everything contrary to God's will for your life. Every addiction. Everything out of place. You begin to speak what it should be. Call it by name and ask it to hear the word of the Lord. Because the word of the Lord is Christ. And that word is power. And I am a son. Where the word of a king is, there is power. And God has made us a nation of kings and priests unto our God. You are a royal priesthood. So now I have come into kingship by which my word carries power. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.